Welcome to Behind Business, the podcast where quarter mentor experts discuss the most pressing issues facing business today. I'm your host, Sean Aylmer, an economist and journalist for 25 years and the voice of the Fear and Greed Daily podcast. Today, we're talking about tourism. The tourism industry is massive and obviously important to the Australian economy. Before COVID-19 caused lockdowns, Australian tourism made up around 8% of all employment across the country, employing about 660,000 people in over 250,000 businesses. In dollar terms, domestic tourism makes up around two-thirds of the market and is worth $105 billion each year. The other third, worth over $40 billion, is spent by international visitors. While the number of international tourists is lower, they have a bigger spend per capita. Across the economy, few sectors have been hit as hard by the coronavirus as tourism. And reopening of domestic borders is critical to recovery in the sector. But so too is the reopening of national borders. To talk to us about what's happening now and what the future for the tourism sector looks like, we have Quartamentha partner Scott Langdon joining me from Sydney and Tony Miskovich joining me from Townsville. Welcome to Behind Business. Welcome. Thanks, Sean. So let's start by thinking about where we were before COVID-19 hit. Scott, until this year, how big a business has tourism been in Australia? Uh, tourism is you know, the heart and soul of so many employees and employers throughout Australia. But one thing that's really interesting about tourism is that it's a bit like property and the property market. It has so many different micro markets throughout our nation. And it's really important when we talk about how tourism has been going for a sustained period of time, we need to look at each of the little micro cosms throughout Australia. And, and one of the interesting things that we've seen through the crisis is that it's a small to medium-sized businesses that are most at risk, that are the most impacted from initially the, you know, the, the bushfires at the start of this year to the, the COVID crisis and the small to medium-sized enterprises. They just don't have the balance sheet or cash reserves to see through the crisis. And whilst that's not an absolute, the regional operators throughout Australia are the ones at greatest risk uh, to come out the other side. They're the ones that need the support from Australians and, uh, and also government. Tony, where do people go? What do they do? How do they spend their money? So international visitors, about 25%, 26% of visitors to Australia, they, they usually stick to the eastern seaboard as much as possible. 74% is domestic tourism. Say in Queensland, where I'm from, you know, 50% is intrastate and 25% is from other interstates. So and you're looking predominantly from New South Wales and Victoria. So it's very difficult when the borders are shut to have a, a successful uh, business when there's no one coming up to, to visit. But uh, international tourists spend about $45 billion in our market and domestic tourism spends about $105 billion. So the international tourists spend more per visitor than the domestic market. But you know, So they're very important to us. But uh, obviously, you know, we have to look at the domestic market at the moment because international tourists aren't coming. So when I think of tourism, I think of five-star hotels versus backpackers, or should I be thinking of international versus domestic? How should we think about it, Scott? Yeah, I think when we think about the international market, uh, we break it up into two core components. One would be that the Chinese who have increased their numbers significantly over the recent decades. Uh, now they are, and only in the past few years, our biggest uh, number of international tourists at 1.3 million tourists coming in last year. When generally speaking, their profile is to stay for up to 10 days, stick to the East Coast, stick to the Metropole and spend a lot of their funds around dining, around casinos and around mm -hmm. shopping. And yep. then we have our international tourists more broadly and they're heavily skewed towards Europe and their trips are more likely to be 
a 10-week trip as opposed to 10 days like the Chinese. And, and we see them traveling a lot more remotely, likely to do some work. But that's the market that seems to have been a little bit more subdued over the last 10 years. And I think yep. it just hasn't grown at the same way we've seen the interest out of China coming to Australia. And uh, that's the market that's probably the most fragile at the moment. So when international tourists come into the country, what do they spend their money on? Who are the biggest beneficiaries? I think the biggest beneficiaries of international tourism are absolutely the hotels, the airlines, restaurants, which is what's obviously front of mind. But what I think we've seen through this COVID uh, crisis that we've, this unprecedented crisis we've seen, the ecosystem of the companies that are either directly or indirectly impacted by the downtick in international tourism to a larger extent and intrastate tourism to a lesser extent is far, far greater than what we probably had anticipated in the past. And I think that the tourism breadth has been seen throughout the economy around when you've seen initiatives like the Victorian government has done, which has been an unbelievable success when you see this click for Vic, how we can support the industry that supports tourism. And it's everything from wine to experiences to dining to gift vouchers to earrings, personal care, art. So the ecosystem that's impacted by COVID has just made us think, well, the ecosystem of entities that are tourism businesses is far, far greater than what we previously had considered. Tony and Scott, you're both actively involved in working with clients and banks and people who work in that ecosystem and are exposed to the travel and tourism sectors. What are you actually seeing on the ground, Tony? Uh, Sean, from what I'm seeing on the ground in Cairns and the Sundays over the past six months, it's fair to say there's a lot of emotion. There's actually concern and frustration, concern about what's to come uh, if there's no vaccine in the near future and, and frustration over the strict border policies, uh, particularly in Queensland. You have to remember that the, the tourism sector has already taken a hit from the bushfire tragedy over summer. Uh, we're seeing revenues for some businesses fall by as much as 80 90% uh, during COVID. So there's no doubt the government incentives have kept the tourism sector afloat up this way. You know, we've got 40% of businesses on JobKeeper and Cairns the Sundays, but the measures may also be creating a little bit of a false economy. You know, take Cairns, for instance, just looking at their occupancy numbers for July, they were around 35% as opposed to 80% last year. Wow. And the domestic passenger numbers at the airport were about a quarter of last year's numbers. And that was when the borders were open up. So it's probably worse now, given the restrictions in Victoria. So broadly speaking, uh, the number of insolvencies are actually down about 60% on, on last year's figures. So just some probabilities, I'd, I'd suggest there's some companies around that just surviving solely on the incentives at the moment up here. Scott, what about you? What are you seeing on the ground? Well, interestingly, uh, a number of the banks we speak to is that companies in their SME divisions Actually, they're sitting on more cash now than what they were prior to the COVID position. And uh, the in hibernation, that the companies in the SME division are trying to hold on to cash as much as possible, which could come from a number of areas through government stimulus, through trying to do a renegotiation with the Australian tax office, delaying rent payments, and also deferring some interest payments and repayments to the banks. So one of the things we're seeing from the banks is that businesses, which include the tourism businesses in the SME space, actually sitting on more cash. And that's a bit of a concern, right? Because it's counterintuitive. It's a concern because does that mean, is it this wave of creditors and are they just building up debt behind them and how that's going to flush through? And even though they've got more in reserve, do they know what their path out of this does when ultimately we do come through the COVID situation? Tony, have you got a view on that? 
We're seeing the same thing up this way. There are a lot of businesses that are sitting on cash reserves, which is the right thing to do in a way. But there are some businesses we're aware that uh, are also building up their age creditor list quite well and not paying anybody. So there is going to be a problem next year, uh, I'd imagine, uh, or later this year in regards to that, because obviously the banks defer to a certain point. Uh, the banks will review. And then obviously the ATO, once they start action again, um, because I understand there's a lot of small businesses not paying tax at the moment. Oh, wow. But having companies do this is actually not a bad thing. Like I think battening down the hatches to save money is the right thing to do in the current climate for uh, these tourism companies. Having cash gives you optionality. Having cash gives you flexibility. And I think that doing a deal with the ATO, doing a deal with your bank, having a 15-month plan with your bank to get through the next phase is really important. Doing a deal with your landlord, it's just how you unpick it and how you unwind it. Each of those ideas in isolation is a really good plan, but it needs to come together in a fulsome rebuild of the business. Yeah. Tony? As long as they're talking to their actual financier. We are seeing a lot of SMEs not talking to their financiers. That's going to cause an issue down the track, I'd say. So following the government support, is there a time coming when it's going to get tougher? That's one view, and either it is going to be tough. We do have a wall of creditors to work throughout the other side. But there is a bunch of people out there who are confident in what it looks like. I think the big picture should be that the operators in the SMEs tourism space should be confident because there is absolutely a pent-up demand. When you speak to your friends and family, when they say, well, the first thing I do when, I, when COVID lifts and the restrictions lift is I'm going to travel. I'm going to yep. go see Tony in Townsville or I'm going to go to country Victoria. I'm going to go to the wine regions of Adelaide. We are, as Australians, we are adventurous. We love to travel. And there is absolutely a confidence in the, in the market that there is pent-up demand and that we will overreact and the pendulum will swing hardest first. And then if there's a secondary phase, some of the people I do speak to on the international front is, yes, it's going to be a while until the borders open up on the international front. But at the same time, we're a, a nation that's managed COVID pretty well comparatively. And plus, we're a nation that's preferred by a lot of people to travel to. So there is hope there that once we do open up the international borders, that pent-up demand will swing and swing hard. And there's some evidence we should look to that, that M&A activity is still alive in tourism. It's not dead. Yes, it's not the same levels it's been in previous years, but there's still activity where people are buying and selling businesses. You just look in the last couple of months, Village Road show was sold to BGH. That includes SeaWorld and Movie World. Uh, there's a company up in Queensland called Experience Co. have sold off their Great Barrier Reef helicopters in the Byron Bay hot air balloon businesses. So there is M&A activity. People do have confidence that once our state borders open up, once the restrictions open up and our international borders open up, it'll swing. It's just a matter of time. Tony, what sorts of tourism do you think will pick up the soonest? I think consumers are looking for a safe way to travel. So looking at the caravan purchases over the last year, there's a 40% increase. So I was in Ailey Beach last week and the caravan parks were quite full and there were a lot of caravans on the road. And given the registration plates, some Victorians actually got out as well, which was great to see. Yeah. yeah I think we'll also see uh, wellness tourism uh, market take off uh, as a result of the effects on people in, in lockdowns. Definitely we'll see different types of tourism emerge, but uh, people are looking for a safe way to travel. That's the issue. So, you know, tourism operators need to focus on changing their offerings uh, to suit the market, but uh, also keep their business COVID safe for the customers. Tony, what would you be advising travel and tourism operators to be doing right now before the pandemic ends? I'd be working out my target customers, definitely domestic, just target it. Get my uh, social media platforms right, the advertising right. I'd be adapting my premises 
and I'd be seeking advice from a financial advisor pretty quickly. Yeah, Scott, you agree with all that? Yeah, absolutely. I'd be battening down the hatches to save money. Cash in the bank gives you optionality to the future then to adapt. And I'd also think about, well, what can I do differently right now to come out the other side? So can I renegotiate contracts with suppliers? Can I right-size my workforce? Can I renegotiate workforce agreements? Do I change, as Tony said, my online offering? Do I find new partnerships? Do I find new alliances? I'd be looking inside my business as much as possible. So when we do come out of hibernation, I'm a fit, ready business to come out that can cater for the new market. And I think in particular, I'd be thinking about how can I cater for the domestic market and really put that front of mind. So when the pendulum does swing, the domestic market is the most to take forward. And I would really embrace understanding what my cash flow looks like. And probably my final one is to embrace with your banker. Your finance provider, they do want to be a partner with the borrower. They want to be a partner over the longer term. Don't run away from the problem, run towards the problem. Do you have a sense whether the tourism operators are doing that at this point? I think they fall into one or two categories. There are some that are doing it and doing it very well. We speak to some parties who are in hibernation, are getting themselves match fit and speaking to their banker and speaking to potentially new financiers as well to come out the other side. And there are some that just the uncertainty and the the timeframes is just too overwhelming for them. So there are absolutely some that do, but I think it's also the advice that they take. Uh, Many operators will go to their tax accountant to get advice on how to deal with the tax office, uh, how to deal with their internal finances. But the advice that they should be seeking at the moment is a more fulsome advice and what they can do to open up their business for future optionality. So when the pendulum does swing, they can come out of hibernation successfully. Tony, what are you seeing up in Queensland in terms of people getting match fit? That is definitely uh, happening. We've seen operators uh, refocusing on the domestic market to get a slice of it. Now, I understand the Australians spent about $65 billion overseas in trips in 2019. So it's you know it's more than the, the lost inbound number, which I mentioned before at $45 billion. So it's fair to say that the market has looked at that pretty quickly and they're starting to chase it. So they are getting match fit. Certain players, I won't say all players, um, but... There are people that are sitting on cash and they are doing the right thing. So they are talking to advisors, they are talking to their banks and they're adapting their premises. But it's not all the players. That's the issue. Now, the government subsidies and particularly JobKeeper have been very important for the sector. Does the government need to keep that support going for an extended period, do you think, as we emerge from the COVID-19 shutdowns? Scott? I think the government need to be very careful on how we wean the nation off job keeper and job seeker that we just can't come to a cliff and then fall off and the extension that's been agreed and implemented is a good start but once we get to the end of that phase how we wean the nation off around that is really important it just can't be a a hard stop but I think that the tourism industry in particular needs a little bit more support especially for the the regional areas I suggested that we'd been somewhat subdued for a sustained period of time of regional Australia So what can we do to really boost, whilst we have our international borders closed, what can we do to boost regional Australia and the the tourism operators there? Because they are an important employer of Australians. And some of the things that we think about is is to make the tourist experience even better than what it is. And there's two key pillars that I think about on how we can make that, that experience even better. And one is that we need to reduce approval processes regional Australia and and speed them up as much as possible. There's some really great ideas out there that we just need to get rid of the red tape and really embrace for regional Australia. And the second one is there are so many wonderful Australian entrepreneurs out there who have great ideas how to boost tourism in Australia. 
We need to run towards them and we need to embrace their great ideas because there's so many out there that regional Australia needs some all the assistance we can get. So removing approvals and embrace our entrepreneurs who have great ideas for regional Australia. Now, Tony, looking into the crystal ball in five years' time, what will tourism in Australia look like? That's a tough one. I've been thinking about that. It really comes back to, I think, what happens with the vaccine and how other countries will be affected long term. But yeah, I think it'll be a different landscape. Uh, There will be some fallout and some company failures. We may see less SME business in the space. Why do you say that? Well, I think Scott's right. I think there's a, a lot of liquidity in the market. There's a lot of capital raising going on at the moment. So I think we'll see some acquisitions in the next uh, five years. But, yeah, we've seen the local tourism industry come through other major issues like September 11, GFC, SARS. So I'm hoping hoping overall the market will come out the other end and be more resilient and stronger at the end. Yeah, and as an extension of that, I think it's a couple of steps that's going to occur and it's how long it will take for Australians in particular to be content and comfortable with living with COVID, how long it's going to take for Australians to jump on planes, buses and trains as to what we did in the past. And the first step change, I think it's going to be the opening of the borders. That's a big step for Australia to say, yep, it's good to travel. And I think that'll give us a boost. And then I think even just the announcement of a vaccine will provide a big stimulus for the economy. And then uh, obviously when the vaccine does come through, whenever that is, that'll be the next level. So I think there's going to be a step change towards getting back to some sort of normality for the, uh, the tourism industry. When, Scott, do you think we're going to see lots of international tourists coming back to Australia and vice versa? I think the, the key message uh, in my mind is controlling the controllables. And we've seen our, our friends over in New Zealand do such a great job of managing COVID. Broadly in Australia, we've done a great job of managing COVID. And I think getting a mini bubble with New Zealand would just give so much confidence and stimulus to the uh, tourism market. It would be hard to believe, but New Zealand is the second largest source of tourism in Australia with 1.2 million people in 2019. So it's only 100,000 behind China. So if we could open up a border with New Zealand and, you know, from the east coast of Australia, it's only a couple of hour flight, uh, I think that'll just be such an unbelievable boost to tourism in Australia. And and you speak to the the people on the ground, that'd be just such a step change and uh, such an important goal for our federal government to open up a a bubble with uh, New Zealand. Do you think that in the future that a fundamental change will be that Australians do actually visit Australia more often? I hope so. I hope Australian attractions are on the bucket list. And you know, as we mentioned before, people want to travel. It's human nature. So um, as long as business operators got the, you know, they need to play their part and implement a COVID safe plan. I, I think you know Scott's right. We need to uh, you know get the government comfortable with how we, we travel around Australia. We definitely will see a lot more interstate travel um, in Queensland. We've seen that already. We've seen a new route from Sunshine Coast to Cairns recently uh, open up. So, and that's been uh, quite full. I understand the, the planes on that. So, but you know, we also need to talk about the air bridges like uh, Australia New Zealand. I think we, we definitely will do a lot more travelling to to New Zealand and vice versa instead of uh, long haul travels. So, what should a company in hibernation focus on right now? Yeah, a company in hibernation right now needs to be resilient and have an unwavering confidence that will come through the other side. And we as Australians are very resilient people and we need to really dig deep over this next short period of time and look at the positive. And the positive is this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to re-look at your business, look deeply at the way you're operating, look at your systems, look at your customers, 
look at your online platforms and work out, well, when I do come out the back of this, what do I want my business to look like? This is a once in a lifetime opportunity. And for people in the tourism industry, the pendulum will swing and will swing hard. And you need to be prepped as best as possible to make the most of it when the pendulum does swing. Scott Langdon and Tony Miskovich, thanks for talking to Behind Business. Thanks, Sean. Thanks very much. That brings us to the end of today's episode of Behind Business. I'd like to thank Scott Langdon and Tony Miskovich for joining me on the virtual couch. It's clear that tourism has suffered throughout the COVID-19 crisis. While intrastate tourism has picked up, as people spend their money closer to home, the sector needs all domestic borders to reopen and for tourists to flow across state borders before it emerges from the coronavirus slump. Fortunately, the sector has many, many resilient operators, from northern Queensland down to Melbourne and Tasmania and right across to Western Australia. Critical to their path out is understanding their finances, knowing their business strategy and working with people who can help them. It's important they understand how they'll perform after government subsidies are withdrawn and loan holidays end. Good luck to all of them. On the next episode of Behind Business, we take a look at mining and its role in Australia's economic recovery. I'm Sean Aylmer, and that was Behind Business.